Hello, this is Nathan Ray, and this is my friend. Oh, I say my name here, hey? <laughs> yes, you do. Okay, hi, I'm Julie. Yuli Sabi. Oh, yeah, yes. Sabi, but Sabi. Yeah, that works too. <laughs> it's, it's French. Do you know how to speak French? I don't. My, my name's actually Norwegian, but it, oh. I guess there are some French people with it too, but yeah. <laughs> okay. I remember I saw a person from France with your exact name. She was like a French violinist or something. Oh, cool. And I sent you a message saying, hey, Julie, this is yes, someone you with did. your name. You were totally indifferent to it. Oh, yeah. It. I guess there's a lot of us in the world. So yeah, a common name, just not here. Yeah. So how do we know each other? So, oh man, when did we meet? I think we know each other from Bible study back in the day. Yes. Yeah. We met almost five years ago. Jeez, wow, that long. Yes, at a church Bible <laughs> study. I say the word met loosely because I just kind of dropped in there. Didn't really know anyone there. Took me quite a long time to actually get to know people. I remember just week after week, I would keep on forgetting people's names. And so like, that's just how much I didn't know the people there. I was only really going to the Bible study at that time for philosophical discussion. And you stood out to me because, I don't know, you just seemed to have a lot of personality. You seemed very neurotic and unsure of yourself, but that's five years ago. <laughs> you've grown. You've become, I hope so. you've become a much more mature person. I will say like in the time since I have gotten to know you, not only have I seen you grow and mature, but you've also proven yourself to be a very good friend, a very loyal friend, a friend I'm not necessarily sure on everything about in regards to where the boundaries lie, but a friend I can trust. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. What was your first impression of me five years ago? And how has that impression evolved over the time that we've known each other? Yeah. Okay. Well, when I first met you, I was like, oh my goodness, there's a high school guy in this Bible study because we're a bunch of young adults and we all had our challenges and tribulations with be it university or careers, but we're like, well, there's a high schooler here. Okay. This is different. Um, but then over time getting to know you, I know the one thing that really stood out to me was when you would volunteer to read whatever passage we were doing. And you had such this narrative, passionate voice when you would read the Bible, which is why I'm so proud of you for doing this podcast, because you carry over this uh, really engaging voice. And it makes these kind of really interesting and engaging to listen to. And also you would just ask really profound questions that sometimes caught us off guard, but would really make us think. Yeah, I hear that the quality has gone drastically downhill since I've left. So maybe just not enough people are asking profound questions. But a uh, quick little fun fact before we move on to the next section. You mentioned that I was a high schooler attending a young adults Bible study. At that time, I had just turned 19. I was going to a place called Center High, which was meant to be for people who had flunked out of high school in 12th grade or who needed upgrading. In my case, I had gone through a very tumultuous time in high school. 
And I was sort of in that gray area of too old to properly go to public high school, but I could still go to high school, but it had to be a very special high school. And that high school was center high. And so and at that time, I was attending a GSA. It happened to be on the same day that we were having our Bible studies. And I knew that going to the GSA and even in times before in my life, the vast majority of my friends had been secular folk. And so I wasn't really engaging with people who were of the same faith as me. I knew there was something that needed to change in my life. Beulah happened to be the closest church that I lived nearby. And uh, they were offering Bible studies across the city. The closest young adult Bible study was your Bible study. And that's pretty much the reason why I ended it up with you guys. Hey, well, God works in weird ways. So it just so happens to be convenience that makes everything work out. Anyways, speaking of how God has been working, how has God been working in your life lately? Oh, man. Um, Well, so um, I've been doing my third year of med school um, outside of the city. So the community I got placed in, I actually had no desire initially to come here. It was a little far from home. It was a little far from the city and I knew nothing about it. I had it ranked really low on my list. And when I found out I was going here, I felt that Christian peace about it, I guess, if you will. And I've been really enjoying my time here and it's been kind of a nice little retreat. It's really allowed me, I guess, kind of being removed from everything just to focus on what is God doing in my life right now and just seeing the people he's put in my life in this new community, the experiences I've had, the avoiding things with my education and the pandemic. There's just certain things that you don't have to deal with in a small town has been great. And yeah, he's been teaching me quite a bit. You mentioned that the town that you're in right now, it's not where you would have gone. Where would you have wanted to go? And why would that have been not as good as where you are right now? Yeah, so I originally wanted to go back to central Alberta. And just because that's where I grew up. And there were a few communities on the list. And I know that if I went there, I would have received the same education, but I wouldn't have met the same people. And God has thrown some really good, um, well, I guess before the lockdown, I had a new small group here in this community where I really got plugged in and we were growing together and working through a really good, um, wasn't like a, a Bible study in the sense of here's a book of the Bible, kind of like what we did back in the city. But it was, hey, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be Christian and trying to find a job or what does it mean to be a Christian young adult and navigate dating or navigate singleness and marriage. And it was just a really good group of people and a really good mentor who um, we had some side conversations and she walked through exactly what I'm walking through in life. And just having another mentor like that, I don't know if I would have found somebody like that in a different town. So that's been huge. Was she also a young woman traveling to the city, going to a small town, working as a doctor? Well, no, she's not in the medical profession, but she was from a, I actually don't know where she's from, but she did university out in BC and then ended up in the small town that I'm in now. I don't know, just hearing some of her young adult struggles and things that we sometimes don't really talk about in the church all that much. 
like the desire for romantic intimacy? Yeah, that or just even struggles of like, you know, going through life and figuring out well, what to do next. Like if plan A doesn't work, how is plan B going to work? And like everything, really. It was like all these little troubles that I've had in life or I'm having in life, she's been there. So that was kind of cool. Okay. If I might briefly discuss how God has been working my own life. And then yeah, we can please do. refocus on your awesome life as a small town <laughs> medical student. So I'm going to be flashing all the way back to October of 2019. This is a long story in terms of the amount of time that it covers. So October 2019, I get a call from a mutual friend of ours. That's as much as I'm going to say about them. And they say, hey, Nathan, I'm a little short on cash right now. Do you mind if you loan me about $500? I'll make sure to pay you back as soon as I can. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, well, this person has asked me for money in the past. I've shared my money with them. They've always paid me back. I can share $500 and not have to worry about it. So yeah, sure, I can do that. So I gave them $500 with the expectation that I'd be getting paid back probably within a month. And then within the next month, three horrible things happened all in a row. First of all, my sister called me up and said, hey, Nathan, I can't pay tuition and I need $550 in order for me to pay off my first semester. Can you please lend me the money? And because it's my sister, I figured, yeah, okay, sure. I'll do it because I love you, but I'm also expecting you to pay me back. Shortly after that, my roommate came up to me and told me, Nathan, all my savings, I've completely run out. I spent it all on pizza and takeout. And I'm also going to be defaulting on my expenses for the next two months while I go to Ontario and spend the Christmas holidays with my girlfriend there. So sorry, man, you're on your own. Third horrible thing that happened was I got sick with a sinus infection for about a week and a half, and that completely knocked me out of work for way too long. I can afford to miss a day or two, but missing a week and a half was a severe drain on my finances. And so all of those things coming together meant that I was working quite a lot during the holiday season, didn't have a lot of free time to myself. Whatever free time I had, I couldn't go out and do expensive things like, I don't know, go out to a light festival or something like that. I saw cats in the cinemas and it was amazing, <laughs> but that was the only fun thing that I did that season. Thankfully, my sister, eventually she paid me back. My roommate, as soon as he got back from his holiday, he paid his share of the expenses. I got a pretty nice paycheck from working so hard during the holiday season. And then eight days into 2020, I get fired from my job working at the World Water Park. And I need to go out, get another job. I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know how long I can last. I do know that I need to go find my friend and get him to give me back the $500 that they owe me. I track them down. I find out that they're going through a pretty terrible time. They got into a car accident that almost killed them and they broke up with their girlfriend. And it's like, okay, 
you're not giving me back the money. That's fine. I'll just have to make up the difference myself. Months go by. I managed to unexpectedly get rich through taking on CERB. I spend half of it on my monthly expenses. I take the other half and put it in savings. And I use that to build up a pretty good defense. Last November, I get another call from this friend of mine and they say to me, Hey, Nathan, I know I haven't paid you back the money yet. And I have some pretty good reasons as to why that's the case. Life has been really hard for me as of late, but I'm going to need to ask you again, can you please just help me out? And initially, my first thought was, no, I've already lent you enough money. We have a pretty good government welfare system right now. You can go to them. You can get the money that you need from them. I don't want any part of this. Later that night, I prayed to God. God told me, hey, Nathan give your friend the money. And I'm like, okay, sure. God, I'll do it. Called my friend the next day, said, here's the money. Ended up lending him 1200 more dollars, 900 of which was coming out of my emergency savings account. And I remember there was just like this feeling of frustration and impatience and a desire to just, I want to help this guy. I want to help my friend. I want to help someone who in the past I've respected very highly, but at the same time, it's very hard to justify that respect when you keep on being disappointed. And it turns out that in the last week, I get another call from him and I'm just like, hey, what do you want? And he said to me, hey, Nathan, I got a job working in construction, I'm about to make a lot of money. I'm, I'm getting paid like almost $30 an hour just to work. I'm getting paid for a painting job I'm doing with a friend. I'm getting government welfare from the time that I wasn't working. And because of all this happening at the same time, I'm going to be able to pay you back. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, not only, yes, I got my money back. I like my faith in this guy wasn't totally lost, but also just like, I'm really glad to see that his life is taking a turn for the better. And that in part, it's because I was willing to stand by and help him. And I'm, I'm not saying like, oh, hey, I'm the best person that is ever lived, but like, Even though it's been a very frustrating time in my life, it is one that's ultimately proven its reward. That's really cool. And I really admire your faith in that. And that is like the one thing that stood out is that you prayed about it because your initial gut reaction was, oh, no, I'm not doing that. And then God's like, "Um, yes, you are. (laughs) And just to see that in the end, it, it works out. And it just shows that like God provides and that, you know, everything is okay if we trust in him. And it's, uh, I know it's definitely something in my life that I struggle with. And so it's really like, I guess going back to the whole, like, you know, how has our friendship changed? That's always something that's really remained steadfast is like, you have this faith that is really admirable. And insane. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So if we're tying this back to your story, What has your faith journey been like in going to this small town and becoming a medical student there, 
Hmm. Um, I would say, well, my faith journey as a whole through this experience has kind of been like a gentle roller coaster. <laughs> um, like it has its ups and it has its downs, but it, so far, knock on wood, it hasn't been anything that I feel way in over my head and just like, you know, that butterflies in your stomach feeling. And I think it's really shown me that like when you do trust in God, that he does take care of you. And I've really seen that through even some of my classmates and how they've worked in my life. You know, just with this whole not being able to go to church right now because of whatever's happening in the government with these new rules. My one classmate and I decided to start like a little online uh, devotion series. And so we've been reading through a book together and we'll text each other and talk about it and talk about how it applies to our lives right now. So yeah, that's, that's been kind of cool. And just, you know, looking at, yeah, God's provided me with a friend to do that with, who's not my classmate that's here. But then my classmates have also been good too. Uh, she's not Christian, but kind of balances things out. It's good to hear different perspectives on things from, you know, Christians and non-Christians. Given how the government has not only been shutting down churches, but also schools, how have you been doing school during your time in the small town that you're situated in? Yeah, so for me, it's different because my whole third year is hands-on. So I actually only go to school one day a week for three hours, if that it's kind of like you just sit on Zoom meeting and everyone talks about whatever we're supposed to be learning about that day. But otherwise, I'm, I, I call it going to work because that's what it feels like. I guess I'm technically going to school, but I go into the clinic or I go into the hospital. I just wear a mask. I wash my hands probably every 30 seconds. And I don't know, it feels normal. It feels like this is what I would be doing pandemic or not. It's just, I might not be seen as much as I would have last year, or people can't see me. They only get to see my eyes, which is, it feels not dehumanizing, but depersonalizing, I guess. Like when you only get to see half a person's face, you don't really get that full connection with them. Do you think that you could make a sock puppet and just say, hey, pretend this is me? <laughs> Um, maybe for the kiddos I see, because there's nothing more fun on a Monday than having a baby scream at your face because they can't see you smile. Yeah. Do you get paid for the work that you do or is it just? I get what is called a clerkship stipend and it's not a lot. I really want to do the math on it because I know it's way below minimum wage, but it's fine. Like I'm not expecting to be paid. I'm here to learn. And I just kind of go in with that mindset is I'm learning everything and I'm not really allowed to make any clinical calls because that's not my role yet. So yeah, what, I get a little bit, but not much. <laughs> what is your role? Like, what do you do on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? So usually I'm either in the clinic. So like when you go into the doctor's office or I'll be in the emergency room. And in both those cases, it's the same. I'm usually the first person to go into the room and I kind of figure out why you're here, what's going on. I'll do a physical exam. So kind of like if your knee hurts, I'll poke and prod your knee and move it around and try and figure out what's going on. And then I, <laughs> I'm working on, so this is the next steps of like, okay, now what do I do? So do I have to x-ray it? Do I need to send you for blood work? Or, um, you know, is there a certain medication you need? But all of that I get to do with a, like a preceptor. So like a doctor teacher person. 
I don't get the final say in anything. I just get to make suggestions and sometimes they're right. <laughs> what has your interactions with the community been like? I'm assuming as a doctor in training, you're getting a chance to meet up with more people than usual, especially in these times when we're all under lockdown. Yeah, um, that's, I think, the one part I love about this job that I've chosen is the meeting people and kind of hearing their life story and getting to grow alongside with them. And so, you know, you meet people on the best days of their lives and you meet people on the worst days of their lives. And the variety of people I've been getting to meet, people from all walks of lives. And the really cool part about being in this community is I've been fortunate enough to deliver babies and then I've got to actually watch them grow up. I get to be the one to do their one week checkup and then their six week checkup and I haven't had any past that yet. Would you say there's a difference between the kind of people that you're interacting with in a small town versus the kind of people you'd be interacting with in the city of Edmonton? I would say in my own biased, I'm from a small town opinion, is that people here are a lot more friendly and neighborly and everybody knows everybody. So you have to be really careful about what you say because it'll travel down the rural telephone line and everybody's into everybody's business. But that's also kind of what makes it fun is you'll get to hear about somebody's neighbor and you're up to date with everything. (laughs) Okay. Let's go into some more spicy questions, making it clear that this is your opinion and not the opinion of Alberta Health Services. Uh, (laughs) How do you feel that the government has been handling this pandemic from a professional medical perspective? Mm -hmm. I mean, I do want to say that they're doing the best that they can. It's hard because we, you know, we really don't know a lot about this virus, unlike you know, when it's normal influenza, we know, okay, this happens, this happens, this many people get sick. But yeah, this virus is a little different. And I think one of the frustrating things is this we're always seeing the rules change, and they change so quickly. And sometimes the information of why it's changing doesn't exactly reach the public. But you know, some of the rules are there for good reason. Like if we think back to March when this all happened, it was, oh, we don't need to wear masks. Masks do nothing. But now, and we even have the evidence to see, oh no, like masks are a good thing. And washing your hands, everybody should be washing their hands. And that hasn't changed. But I I want to believe that the government's doing the best they can. But my big fear is that we're going to see increases in mental health problems just with, I think, of the lack of social connection. And I think that's something that we have to be cognizant of, both in and out of the healthcare profession, is that, you know, we as humans are social creatures. And we, you know, as great as Zoom or Facebook chat or Google Meets are for virtual connections, it's not the same as, you know, having coffee with a friend or going for a walk with a friend. Or having them. Yeah, or, or hugging them, especially for those people whose love language is physical touch. just has to be just the worst season of their life right now. They can always hug a teddy bear. Is this true? It's not the same. <laughs> I believe that before this pandemic hit, the government was actually planning on cutting funding for health care. Were you able to get an insight as to why that was the case and why they were insistent on doing so even after the pandemic was rolling out? 
Oh man, I forgot that was a thing. <laughs> um, I don't know why the, the government does what it does sometimes, but I think I really don't have a comment on that because I haven't put a lot of thought into it. And I'm also just way too young in my career to really have that as my primary focus. <laughs> Fair enough. What are the kind of attitudes that you've experienced in the town that you're in regarding the way that people have been reacting to the COVID pandemic? Yeah, I've seen it all. I've seen some people that like to wear triple eye protection uh, when they go about their day um, and just sanitize everything. So we guess have that extreme. And then you also have the very other extreme of that this is all a conspiracy. I'm not going to wear my mask. The vaccine has a microchip in it. Um, you get those kind of people. I find most of the people I interact with, they're just very compliant with the rules. They know, okay, I need to wear my mask when I go inside. I need to wash my hands all the time and I can't have people over right now. And, you know, trying to stay six feet apart from everyone as best as I can. I see a lot of that, but you do get the extremes too. I think like there's this common stereotype that rural people are just like belligerent about following the rules. But from what I'm hearing, that doesn't seem to be the case. They seem to be like people here in Edmonton, you know, you have a couple of people who are just like so vehemently anti-mask that they're willing to go out and protest for that. You have people who are extremely pro-mask to the point where they're not willing to meet up with anyone lest they get infected. But like, I would say that's 80, 90% of people are in the middle of just like people who are trying to adapt and do what they can to make it through this difficult season. Yeah, and I think that just might be um, an Alberta thing as a whole. And maybe I'm just seeing there a small sampling of people and they all just happen to be in that middle ground. So it's really hard to say. Social media, on the other hand, though, I feel you really see the true colors of people come out. It has me a little worried for our population. I can understand that, especially given how people in this province already wanted to secede from the country. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that, too. Man. <laughs> You're forgetting about a lot of important things in this world, Julie. I just filled my brain with happy thoughts, I guess. <laughs> What's bringing you joy in this season? I would say my coworkers. Being out in nature and just, I guess, getting my God time that way is like going on a nice long walk and being close to the mountains and just really getting to uh, see the glory and his goodness that way has been really good for the soul. Yeah, just doing a lot of sports too and getting out on the skis as much as I can, even though we have no snow here. <laughs> been getting creative with the skis. <laughs> you don't have any snow where you're at? No, it's been a little warm. But I'm going to turn the question on you. What's been bringing you joy? What's been bringing me joy? Reading. To be honest, that's probably the one thing in my life that's bringing me the most joy. I've been working a lot and work has, it's been very profitable, but it's not really the most joyful thing in the entire world. Worshiping God through singing is also bringing me joy. But I would say that yeah, just reading a lot of nonfiction books, uh, learning a lot about how people work, and it's giving me a lot of food for thought. I think the most recent book that I've just finished is 
It's one called Leaders Eat Last by Simon mm. Sinek. And it's talking about how the idea of being a leader is that you're, you're serving the people who are working for you. You're doing everything that you can to make sure that they feel they're at home, like you care about them. It goes into detail about what happens when employers can't make their workers feel at home, either because they're focused on the bottom line or they're just socially clueless. And interestingly enough, I would say reading that book did not bring me nearly as much joy as reading other books because it sort of gave me flashbacks to unpleasant experiences I've had with previous leaders, some of which you know about, and just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this mistake that's being talked about here, it's the exact same mistake that happened in my own life years ago. And so in some ways, it was actually a very stressful book to read. But in other ways, it was also fairly enlightening because at the very least, it gave me ideas on how I could be a better leader if I ever find myself in that kind of position. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in the future for this profession? And what inspired you to get into it in the first place? I know that's weird asking that so late, but like, where's oh, this all going? Um yeah, so in the future, I'm hoping to move back to a small town. I just, I really love rural communities and just, I think, the close-knit community of it all. So um, I'm hoping to do family medicine. So I have a year and a half left of school, and then I have another two years of more school. Then I'll be done, hopefully. But it's every day I, I kind of discover that I like something else. So um I've been really digging surgery as of late, and uh, it's something I can do as a family doctor is I can do um, extra training in surgery and kind of become a small town surgeon. So I'm teasing apart that idea right now. Um, and I also love emergency. I love the rush of thinking, okay, this has to get fixed now or like what's really important right now. But yeah, so I think in the end, this career choice, it's just something where it's all those little things that I really love and they all come together. So I love listening to people and hearing their stories. And that's most of what I get to do every day. I love trying to figure out problems and solving issues. I love the joy that my patient receives when they finally have a diagnosis or when I get to hand them their newborn baby for the very first time. Just kind of those smiles. It's awe-inspiring. And I also just wholeheartedly believe that this is what God wants me to do because otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. And I like to think that this career path I'm on is just an extension of my testimony, which is, I think if I go in with that mindset of like, I'm doing this for God, I will really have success at whatever I want to do in life. What do you think you'd be doing with your life if you weren't doing this for God? <laughs> I definitely would not be in med school right now if I wasn't doing this for God. I don't even know where I'd be. <laughs> um, I've had some weird odd jobs in the past that I'm kind of glad that I'm not there anymore, but they were fun for the time, but I wouldn't want to do them for the next umpteen years. So I think you were like a bank teller for the time. Bank teller. I was a receptionist. I was a research assistant. I was a camp counselor for a long time. I've worked everything, man. You mentioned that you dig surgery and like listening to you say something like that, it sort of gets me thinking like you enjoy being stressed out of your mind, having <laughs> the balance of someone's life or at the very least their body parts in your hands. 
uh, small town surgeons don't really do big, scary surgeries. They're smaller. I mean, they're still important and you still have to really be professional and knowledgeable in what you do, but it's kind of fun, the procedural side of things. And like, when you get to see how we're made, you know, under the light, it's kind of cool. So I guess it's like, it's a medium sized difficulty for you. Not too easy, not too frustratingly challenging. Oh no, this medicine's hard. (laughs) It's not, it's not easy, but it's fun. And that's what I think takes a little bit of the difficulty away. Okay. Totally random question has almost nothing to do with your own career, but what do you think of, I guess, procedural emergency medical TV shows either that have aired in the past or that are airing right now? Oh, okay. They're my guilty pleasure. I love watching them. And then sometimes they're really good to study from, which I, okay, that sounds bad because like they'll be so wrong, but you just like, I don't know. I used it to study for my exam actually in second year is I'd watch house and then I would uh, put it on pause after they like, you know, did all their symptoms and would think about it and usually be wrong. So I'd have to go study some more, but (laughs) a lot of what happens in those shows does not happen in the hospital. I could tell you that hundred (laughs) percent. What would you say, like, on a scale of accuracy, which are the most accurate versus the most egregiously Oof. inaccurate? Okay, so I don't watch a, well, I don't watch a lot of TV anymore. Scrubs is pretty accurate. I mean, it's a funny show, but the way they portray nurses and how uh, nurses are really important, I think, is what I really love about Scrubs. Because, man, nurses are the people that run medicine. Nurses do it all. And they're fantastic people. ER, um, I don't know, I just really like ER. House is a, is on the dead last scale. You're not going to have the same doctor doing the surgery and then running labs and then going down to the lab and doing their own lab tests. So House is wrong, um, but House is funny. And Grey's Anatomy just has a lot of sex in it. And yeah, I, at least our supply closets here in this small town do not have that much sex or any sex at all in them. They just have medical supplies. No romance whatsoever? No romance in the hospital. How do people make shows like that? Is it just... I think they like to think they know what's going on. Okay. <laughs> if you were to describe your life as a six-episode limited series that's on Netflix, which genre would it be? What would the premise be? How long could you see it lasting? I had to talk with my preceptor about this. We determined that my life is basically a sitcom. So I would throw it under sitcom. It'd be right up there with Big Bang Theory, I think. Just a lot of nonsense, some accuracy, and everybody laughs in the end. Okay. So I would say we're running out of time, not just for like the show, but also for our time to talk. Before we go, is there anything that you want to promote or recommend? Wash your hands, people. Wash your hands. Stay apart. Because my word, if I do not get a summer this year, because y'all just decide to have indoor parties, I will haunt you. (laughs) Not much of a promotion. No, I don't really have anything to promote. But just stay safe, everyone. How are you going to haunt people? Like through your dreams? Are you going to mysteriously disappear? And then have that as an excuse for your ghost to go roaming around? 
Well, the power of prayer is one thing and God convicts people. I don't know. I'll find my ways to haunt people. I want to draw a picture of that. Anyways, see you guys. This has been Because We're Not the Same, a podcast hosted, produced, and edited by Nathan Raymond Ray, with special guest Julie Sabie. To listen to more episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Verbal, iHeartRadio, or Podbean. You can also visit our Facebook page or our website, bwntscast.wordpress.com. If you're interested in coming on the show as a guest, feel free to reach out to us and we'll see about having you on. Thank you for listening.